Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Good Good Golf Podcast, the podcast that's all good, all golf, all the time. Rod Murray at the helm as we prepare to sound the claxton and dive into anything and everything to do with the great game of golf. There's homework as always, but we'll come to that in a moment after I introduce my regular co-host, just mixing things up this week to keep them fresh. Part of that is to change the batting order. Instead of starting in the studio, we're going first to Talking Golf Satellite Operation in Georgia in the US where we find Feed the Ball host Derek Duncan. Derek, before I bring you in, I've got some news for you, my friend. I have changed, Ooh. I've got an important announcement, I've changed this place of your studio in the good, good rotation. Do you know what I've done? No. I'm changing the name to Thunderbird 5. <laughs> Remember Thunderbird uh, 5? So that's, that's what the workers have been doing yeah, around here. Yeah, Thunderbird 5 orbits around up there with John Tracy in there, and he's in charge of monitoring all the global communications and any sort of calls for help. That's you, my friend. Uh, so I went to actually went to, the Thunder, oh, went to the Thunderbird fan page. Oh, there's some for you here too, Adrian. <laughs> okay. And I had a look at what uh, they had to say about John Tracy. They break down the personality of each of the characters. Tell me if you think this sounds like uh, Derek. John's the quietest and most intellectual of Jeff's sons. Slighter in build than his older brothers Scott and younger brothers Virgil, Gordon and Alan. He's tremendously lithe, sharp-minded and has a lot of mental energy, is also graceful. Yep. Lithe and graceful. That's what I think when I think Derek Duncan. Okay. So, mate, Thunderbird 5, uh, welcome aboard. Good to have you, Good Thank to you. Have I, you mate. I have to confess I don't – you lost me at Thunderbird 5. What is that? <laughs> Didn't you have a childhood? I, I am sitting here mouth agape. Do you, are you seriously? You, you don't know what the Thunderbirds are? Uh, no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> explain. Well, you have to explain now. You can't just you have a, to, you'll have to cut there. all this out I, now, right? I have a feeling That's, I'm not the only one. It's a puppet TV. Oh, is it British, Adrian? Maybe yeah, it's oh, British. It it's not American. Thunderbird Five International Rescue. The, 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 they're all puppets, and there was they have weird rocket ships and stuff. Yeah. This incredible group, and they go out and they rescue. Oh. Derek, Google it. Trust me, if you're in America All and you right. don't know the Thunderbirds, right. Google it's the like Thunderbirds. HR, HR Puffin stuff era kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, kind of, but uh, well, much more serious than that. This is proper, yeah, they proper s- drama. They save the world they every now and then. Every, every okay. episode. Yeah. Oh, wow, I don't know how I made it through my childhood without every time watching this show. There is a particularly- Unless it was only in England and Australia. Might have been. Uh, when, whenever there was a particularly hairy situation, they'd start to sweat. Yeah. The puppets would sweat. <laughs> That's puppets right. would sweat. <laughs> I think they sprayed yeah, water on them that. or something like that. And the hand would come in with the yeah. watch on it so you could see that it actually had hair on it. Oh, the Thunderbirds are fantastic. If you're yeah. not into the Thunderbirds, get into the Thunderbirds. Oh, wow, that's fallen so flat. Sorry, mate. Well, you're Thunderbird 5. You're John Tracy, so that's nice. Uh, welcome aboard, mate. Good looking forward to having a chat today. Thank you. Uh, well, Adrian, only you and I are going to understand this. If Derek's Thunderbird 5, I think we can all agree that you're going to be Thunderbird 2, and that makes you Virgil. Okay. I won't be able to help but think of you as that from now on. Welcome, firstly, and then I'm going to go through your personality traits. Uh, thank you, Rod. I, I can't wait. Please, are you excited? Please continue. <laughs> you look nervous. Virgil shares a compassionate side of responsibility with his brothers, never placing technology above human needs, even if it means placing his own life in danger. He has a mixed personality <laughs> that possesses physical strength and bravery with a gentler side of his hobbies of art and playing the piano. Okay. I think that fits with you. I'll, you I'll could take, do all of I'll those I'll take things. that. It could have been much worse. It could have been a whole lot worse. There was some stuff in there I left out. Trust me. Uh, welcome <laughs> welcome aboard. Well, what was the name of the island? I don't, I don't know. Tracy Island? Anyway, <laughs> enough of all that. That's stupid. <laughs> Let's get on to the homework. I just, Good. I just Googled the Thunderbirds. Yeah, I th- I've seen these... 
I don't know if I saw them live, but or if I saw them in. Oh, you've seen them. They saved the world weird, on a number of occasions. <laughs> hallucination yeah. parody of them, but they're they're bizarre. I don't know if I want to be any one of them. Oh no, you want to watch? Trust me, you'll love it. Uh, enough okay. of all five. The nice looking lady puppet, though. Um, Lady oh, Penelope? Penelope, yeah. yeah fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Gets around in the pink Rolls Royce with about eight wheels at the back. And the, what's the driver's name? Parker. <laughs> That's right. She used to boss him about, <laughs> didn't she? She sure did. Yeah. There's, there's fun to be had there. Enough of the Thunderbirds. Let's get on with the homework. Start with a plug for the Talk and Golf Network. And in particular, uh, a big hello and welcome to the latest show to join the network. Dr. Kelly Price is on the tee with Dr. P. She's recorded a preview episode, which you can have a listen to at the thing, but at the uh, the website, www.talkandgolf.com. But really, 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 really looking forward to hearing what Dr. Kelly does. We've had her on the IC Golf Podcast, Adrian, yep. a couple of times. Fantastic. We've been squirreling away in the background getting this one set up, and I really think she's going to add something to the entire golf conversation, not just the network. Um, Agreed. And a fantastic accent. Mm-hmm. That Tennessee something's fantastic. So uh, welcome, Dr. Kelly. Good to have you aboard. Looking forward to uh, what the new year will bring with your various shows. Uh, you can check her out, as I said, at uh, TalkingGolf.com. Also over there, Nick O'Hearn's Tour Mentality. I was listening to that in, on the way in in the car this morning. For those who, let's be honest, refuse to practice but want to be better. Mm-hmm. Yep. How many golfers are trapped in that conundrum? Um, yeah, Nick O'Hearn's is uh, great for that. There's no shortcuts. <laughs> No, there's well, no, there's not, is there? No. no so get on the thing. It's Connor, Connor, Connor Lewis's history show. If I can sh- slow down for a minute, uh, kicking goals as always, and of course Derek's feed the ball, which is going to get a mention shortly because his most recent episode with Jim Urbina, I think, was one of his best. Second task: contact details. This one's pretty simple. You can find all three of us on Twitter. I'm at, at Rod underscore Mori, Adrian at, at Adrian Logan, Derek at. at feed the ball. You can also email. Nobody ever does. Send me an email. I get a bit lonely. Rod at TalkingGolf.com. Just the one G. In Talking Golf. And finally, some homework that's actually profitable. This is a special deal for Talking Golf listeners only. Links to this can only be found in the show notes. That's down below. I'm pointing down, people, for those who can't see. Uh, this is the only place you can get it. You can get gift cards at thegolfsociety.com.au. They are, of course, the Talking Golf Network sponsor. But you can't get discount golf gift cards from uh from the Golf Society, but you can in the show notes below. 30% off for Talking Golf listeners. There's no rule against getting yourself a gift with Christmas coming up, or perhaps find a subtle way for a significant other to either hear this or find the show notes themselves. I agree that's tricky, but in reality, if you end up with another one of those tools that's got a club cleaner and a divot fixer and a shot counter on it, this it's your own fault, because this could uh, save you. Have you been having a look on the... I asked you to have a look on the website. Did you find something in there, Adrian? Golf Society? I have. I, I think in these... Uh, these seasons that we have at the moment where there's a bit of uncertainty around the weather, what golfers really should have in their in their uh, wardrobe is a, a good vest. And there's a Peter Miller Gale Force soft shell stretch vest in British grey that I would recommend. It looks It's a very nice item and uh, it looks very versatile in various types of weather. Outstanding. So yes. get yourself a gift card. Get a, was it Peter Miller? Yep. Peter Miller vest. Indeed. Thirty percent uh, off. At thirty percent off, I'll leave the link lying around. You look smashing in that. You look smashing in that, and yep. uh, may improve your goal. Let's get on to talk about some stuff to do with golf. I, of course, haven't had much to do with the Google Doc this week because I've been at the golf. Which, frankly, I was at the New South Wales Open this week, Adrian. I know you didn't manage to make it out there. I'm sure you were busy. It is a fair way out of the city. Can I just say, every year I forget how enjoyable it is to go and watch golf in person. Mm. 
It just <laughs> you get enthused about it, you love it, it's fantastic. We get three weeks of it down here, and then you don't do it for a year. And by the time it comes out, you've forgotten how much you enjoy it. You know, you look forward to it, but you can't remember why. It's just fantastic. You really did miss out out there, Adrian. No ropes, a bit like the Vic Open. Walk with the players. Some phenomenal golf play. Andrew Doach shot 61 yeah. on Friday. I watched the last six or seven holes of that, and it's just. There's nothing like it. You can't recommend it highly enough to people. It's a completely Rod, different I'm, experience. I'm curious, Rod. What what do you personally get out of that? Um, you know, because we spent we we've been we talk a lot about you know the the nefarious aspect of professional golf and, and so on and so forth. What, I'm curious to just to, as a preview of of what makes you feel good section. What do you like about it? So you get to stand. Well, first you get to stand behind players, which to watch golf from behind is always the joy. But good players who are good at what they do, and trust me, there's no chumps in the field. People think that, oh, you know, they've never heard of some of these blokes. They'll all be choppers. No, no, no. <laughs> these guys can all play. It's the reality of what it is that they do, I think. This might touch on what you were talking about a few weeks ago, Derek, with your, you know, <laughs> let them do what they do. They're amazing at it. When you feel the wind, right. you see the topography, you put yourself, and there's a golfer, I don't think you can help this, you put yourself in the situation, be it a tee shot or a pitch or a chip or a putt, and how you would be thinking and how you would face and what you might consider doing, and then you see what they do. You can't help but be impressed, I don't think, as a human, as a golfer, at what they do. And there's a joy in that. It's If you're into music, I suspect listening to somebody who really is great at playing music is something special. And I think mm-hmm. if you're into golf, watching people who are truly good at the game is something special. And that goes up another notch next week at the Australian Open and it goes up another notch the week after at the President's Cup where you get to the, well, probably the best of all time in Tiger Woods quite possibly uh, to get that up close and personal. And so it, it touches the golfer. And I think for me especially, I spend an awful lot of my year thinking about, talking about, writing about peripheral things to do with golf. Uh, and to get to see golf up puts you back in touch with the game in a way. Put it this way, I'm almost enthused about going to play. Wow. Ooh, okay. I've been to the golf. This could be a breakthrough. Mm. So, yeah, but, but that's, what it, that's what I think it does. I didn't say I'm going to. Okay. I said almost. But that's, that's what it does. <laughs> it touches the part of the soul, I think, that first falls in love with the game. So I think that's what I get out of it. I don't know. What about you, Adrian? What do you reckon? You've been... Well, you, you haven't been actually probably for about a year to watch any golf up close. Uh, well, I actually have seen a fair bit of amateur golf, and I, I went for a walk around the Pro-Am. At oh, of course, with and that sort of thing. Yeah. But uh, I, golf courses are a lovely place to be, yeah. even if you're not, not playing. Even even some rubbish golf courses are actually a yeah, lovely place to be. to be nice regardless. It's just yeah. a nice place to be. And, yeah, walking around and watching golf, that's something I enjoy. I, I've made that comment. I think when I was at the Pimble Pro-Am, I made that comment. To somebody, it's like, oh, it's a long day. You've out being out here the whole time, and don't notice. It. And I was like, no, this is this is a fantastic day. I'm really having a great time. I was getting up at four thirty, leaving at five, arriving at the golf course at six, and I was there till eight o'clock most nights. Yep. And at no stage did I ever think to myself, well, this is a long day. Oh. Just just being immersed in it was uh, was fantastic. So I don't know. Do you, do you get much chance? To, I feel like the golf culture is very different in America. The great thing about the New South Wales Open, which we won't get at the Australian Open this week, you. You get some things that are better about it, but there's some things that you miss out. The walking with the players is truly special. If anybody got to see some of the live streaming of the finish to the tournament yesterday, which was about as exciting as a tournament finish gets, it had everything from heartbreak and agony to thrills and and fantastic shots. But to to see the crowds 
standing directly behind the players in the 18th fairway right across during the playoff and the finishing regulation was fantastic. But I don't, we don't get to see any of it down here. Do you get much of that available to you, Derek, in America? America is such a big place. How often does golf come near your area, for example? Uh, yeah, seasonally. You know, if you lived in Florida, when they come to the Florida swing, if, if you run to drive, you could catch a couple tournaments. But most of the, mostly, you know, depending on the big, largest metropolis you live in, it might come once or twice a year. I live in the Atlanta area, so um, East Lake is just a couple miles from me, and I ma- managed to make it over to the Masters most years. Uh, but that's about it. I don't, you know, if you wait around, it'll come to you eventually. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to know, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by by your description of, of the way you felt watching the golf rod. So tying it into another conversation and not to get us sidetracked, but would that feeling that you experienced, would that be heightened if, if they were playing different equipment, older equipment? Mm. Uh, I'm going to say yes. And you've touched on something. <laughs> I'm going to finish off a column that I'm writing today about this very thing. So a uh, 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 PGA tour pro turned, sort of columnist and uh, commentator down here, Larry Canning, who Adrian will know, promised me last year that he would bring me uh, a couple of his persimmon drivers that he used when he played the tour nice. in the 80s. They've got X300 steel shafts in them. Anyway, he finally brought them. I haven't seen Larry for a year since then. Yeah. And he brought them up. And they were in the media centre. There weren't many people in the media centre. And the media centre was quite a high traffic area. And to your point, Derek, would it change with the equipment? To a person, not the younger guys probably so much the place, but almost to a person that walked through that media centre, not one person walked past those clubs without picking them up, mm. waggling them, sitting them on the ground, and just – it was a tactile experience. Now, you don't get that with a modern club, which is extremely efficient, and for various reasons you would never use the wood over the, the modern club. But that touching of the soul that those clubs did for those people and for me, and groups of men formed around them talking about what they used to play. Because I played in that era where, yes, I think it would have been enhanced, Derek. And I also think it would have been enhanced because the course was very firm and very dry, and it was legitimately that thing we all say everywhere, which isn't quite true, but it was just a driver, wedge, pitch and putt golf course for the field out there this week. And whilst there's an element of that that's entertaining, as we've discussed before, it doesn't feel like a full and proper test of golf. So yeah, I think it and, would. And to be able to stand behind them and follow them up close, oh, that's when you could really get a sense of the way the ball curves and rises, you know, the, that low riser that mm-hmm. comes off low and then, then mm, projects right. up, you know, that balloon ball, which is hard to control with that equipment. You get a real sense of that mm-hmm. seeing that live and up close that you'd never get on television. No, that's right. And this, I think the thing that probably most people don't, maybe don't appreciate about going to the golf is the sound mm. the sound of a properly struck golf ball let's be honest it's rare to hear it mm-hmm. <laughs> at our level it, yep. it is it and, is and when you hear a ball properly compressed there's something extraordinarily impressive about that yep um so look it's, it, it's a whole thing derek because we all play golf and to watch it played in a way that we can't even consider and i i, I empathize more now i think with what you were saying a few weeks ago about it's incredibly impressive. It's, it's an amazing set of skills that those guys bring. And when coupled with the modern equipment, it's incredible. But as entertainment, I still hold, I think it would be more entertaining. It's more entertaining when the ball moves more in the air, as you say. It's a bit harder to control. Um, the, the difficulty in controlling it to me seems for the modern player seems to come just with the driver. You see some wild drives, wildly off dri- offline drives, because the club head speed is so high that the margin for miss is so small 
the misses are huge when they happen, even though they're not necessarily huge misses on the face, per se. Um, but look, put it all in the mix and it comes up. It's a fantastic way to spend it. I'm not yet a grumpy enough old man to say, oh, I wouldn't <laughs> want to go and watch the golf. <laughs> that's the point of it. I'm enthused about the golf and I'm enthused about seeing it this way because at the Australian, that's a big golf course, yep. which probably does suit the equipment. It does. It's, fact, it's a match for modern technology, yeah, isn't it? It's a yeah. proper modern tournament venue. Big, big golf. Because I know Peter O'Malley, two years ago, it was at the Australian. Peter O'Malley's a senior player. He's been one of our best ball strikers for three decades, Derek. He's just, I'm out. <laughs> he's, he's like a he's like a machine. He really is like Iron Byron. I think he missed a oh. fairway in 87, and he hasn't missed one since. <laughs> but on the first hole at the Australian a couple of years ago, he played with a couple of young blokes, and he had three, he hit it down to the short of the bunker short of the bunker, corner yeah. that was where his drive yep. finished he had three wood to the green I don't think he got it there and the guys he was playing with were hitting seven and eight on yep yes yeah that's how different the game is and that's the aspect of golf that I also find somewhat disappointing it's very one dimensional there were no players in that field who you would say demonstrably were shorter than the rest there were guys who were longer but the average was long there used to be guys who were short but had other skills. But there were no Andrew Dode is a mid thirties, late thirties pro, um, who hits it a decent distance, played with Minwoo Lee who hit it thirty yards past him. Yep. Fairly regularly. Um, but neither of them were short. Andrew Dode hits it fifty yards past anybody at my club mm-hmm. and he's short. Yep. So there's a one dimensional aspect to the play. But yeah, you know, even take one dimension out of golf, the game's still interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. There's so many other dimensions to it. Um, anyway, so that was, and, it, and it's so interesting to go back to, to another thought: is that when you're standing behind them on the tee or with them on the tee, and you see the guy, they, they say three guys hit it, you can't tell who hit it farther, even though the balls <laughs> they're so they're all so far out there that there might be a, a 15 yard gap between the longest and the shortest, but they all look the same coming off the tee. They all look like they were just canonized out there. Yeah. You can get a sense that one of them's doing something different if they hit it on a different line. Mm-hmm. And yeah, take a different line. Yeah. yeah. It's perhaps, like, so. oh, well, the only way he could have taken that line is if he's confident he's going to cover that bunker or something. So, Actually, you're right about that, Derek, because yeah, the, the nature of the land at Twin Creeks is fairly hilly, and often the drives will disappear yeah. over a hill. And it was always a case of, get over the hill to see who's where and then start looking mm-hmm. around. You're quite right. Quite often there would be a not insignificant difference between uh, between the walls. But, yeah, just some fantastic golf. I'll give you a name to watch and watch him this week at the Australian. Justin Warren, who yeah. uh, heartbreakingly hit it in the water on the 18th in regulation when he needed a birdie, I think, or a par to be a part of the playoff and pull hooked it into the water, which was just tragic for him. Incredibly impressive golf swing. Seriously good ball striker. Really nice young man. A fantastic player. Coached by Gary Barter. Coached Barda. by Gary Barter yeah. at the Australian. So he'll be familiar with the tournament, uh, with the course, and he'll be fairly confident after, well, 71 fantastic holes of golf and just one horrendous mistake at the worst imaginable time. But I saw him afterwards and he dealt with that well. So he'll be one to watch. So remember that name. 23-year-old. Um, Played college in Arkansas. Now, here's a question for you, Derek, which he couldn't answer. Why does Arkansas end in an S? (laughs) You know, I'm not sure. I Um, get it. It should be a W, shouldn't it? Arkansas. I think it probably has goes back to some kind of uh, Native American linguistic tradition, but I'm not sure why that would be silent. 
So why is Kansas not pronounced Kansas? This was, ex- this yeah. was going to be my very <laughs> next question because I, I laid the trap for you there, Derek, and now I need you to explain why Kansas is Kansas. Because <laughs> Arkansas is in, in the south. I'm going to piss a lot of Southerners <laughs> off. Arkansas is in the south, and it's just the way they talk. They talk funny. <laughs> there you go. Uh, he had, by the way, Justin had exactly the same reaction that you did, except I got his facial expression as well, which was sort of an, an inquisitive sort of look at, are you serious? Are you are you a golf rider? Do you know anything about the game? Is this really the yeah. question you're choosing to ask me? This will be a good test to see if we have any uh, people from Arkansas who listen to the Good Good Podcast. They'll yes. let us know. If you do, uh, go on to Twitter, find at FeedTheBall, mm-hmm. and direct all of Set your complaints towards, uh, towards Derek. No. Uh, fantastic. As you can probably tell, I'm on a bit of a high from having been at the golf, and this week's going to be another great week, so I'm looking forward to that. Enough from me. As I said, I contributed almost nothing to the Google Docs. I've opened it up this morning and found some topics. Let's start – or hang on. Did you have any follow-ups first, Adrian? Which is normally your job. I didn't think no, so. The, the, is there anything in the follow-up section of there, the document? You're absolutely right. That's no. my fault. There's nothing okay. in the follow-up section of the document. I sh- I, I'll be disciplined for that later, no doubt. Uh, but I'm having a look at the topic. So, Derek, the rankings, the top 100 list. The Golf Magazine one came out, what, about two or three weeks ago? I've been seeing it chatted about on Twitter. What's your, um, mm-hmm. what's your issue? What do you want to talk about with the rankings? These things are always, well, interesting, I suppose, is the word, isn't it? Yeah, well, there's a, a lot of... In small groups, anyway, there was a lot of fanfare about um, Golf Magazine. Their top, it was their uh, latest top 100 list came out, and there was a lot of fanfare about um, and thankfulness that they finally got it right, so to speak. Um, you know, these top 100 lists, no matter what publication they come from, are always controversial, food for thought, uh, debatable topics. You know, people get. Um, pretty wrapped up in where a course is ranked, if it's underranked or overrated, and and that kind of thing. So they do exactly what they're designed to do, and that's mm-hmm. stimulate conversation, and and uh, at least tr- historically stimulated magazine sales as well. But a lot of people take them seriously, and they think uh, it's some sort of courses um, take them seriously. Definitive in course, some some do, some do, and they you know it, it's read as a uh, a referendum on on the quality and the, the placement. So um, I was interested to say to think. To see the the golf magazine list and the, the notion among some people that that you know that it's an improved list, uh, Rand Morissette from Golf Club Atlas now oversees that panel, and uh, they there's always been a smaller um, panel, the smallest number of panelists do the golf list. Um, some fairly well known people are on that list um, on the panel, I should say, uh, and I think that uh, some people were called, which every every magazine panelist panel will go through. You know, if you see people who um, aren't pulling their panelists who aren't pulling their weight or they're submitting outlier uh, opinions and rankings. And there's a variety of reasons why you'd want to have a, have a panelist turnover and, and cultivate it. But what I thought interesting was, and I'm curious to get you guys' opinion, it seems like there is a, a predetermined set of ideas about what golf courses should be on that list and where they should be slotted. And, and it's possible if you approach it with that mindset, you can reverse engineer your panel so you're getting panelists who are going to think like you do and turn in results and rankings that reflect the direction that you think the list should go. And that's not an accusation. I mean, maybe that's a good way to do it. And maybe you should stand for something if you're a, a major publication like Golf Magazine or, or Golf Digest or Golf Week, the, the big three. Maybe it's a good thing for golf if you say, this is what we believe golf should be. These are the kind of courses we want to honor. So we want to have panelists that reflect our values. But 
I'm not, I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but this list definitely seems like, and based on the feedback, it seems like Golf Magazine finally got their panelists right so they could produce the results that, they, that were wanted by this subset of people. What do you, does that as, make sense to you guys? Well, first things first, as Derek just bumped up against the edge, the edge of the issue that I keep wanting to talk about, groupthink in golf course architecture discussion. Perhaps, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is one the notion, one, one groups. The notion that the right courses should uh, should appear in this. What do you reckon? I, I haven't. Well, I certainly haven't read the list closely, Adrian. I've seen a lot of chatter about it on Twitter. I'm not a big ranking list reader. It's not. I'm not a huge fan of the notion of the list. They tend to be essentially a tabloid tool to generate sales, as Derek says. What's your take? Are you, have you read it? You would. I would. My instinct is that if Rand Morissette's in charge, it must have more credibility because I'm in Rand's group think group. Yeah, <laughs> I agree exactly. with most of what he says. Exactly. And there's two, or at least two, schools of thought with how the ranking panels are formed. There's there's and there's panels in Australia where there's a very small number of people who've been sort of handpicked, and there's other panels where they've gone for hundreds of people to try and approach it like it's data. And you get and the numbers will, will dictate the, the, the numbers result. will emerge. Yeah. Whereas there's this other school of thought, I think, where it's pick the people who whose opinion counts, or whose opinion you trust, or whose opinion aligns with what you yeah, want mine. to have. <laughs> mine, I think, yeah. is the word you're looking for. Yeah. Um, and which is better? I, I don't know. I mean, generally, I would say that those handpicked panels are better informed. Um, well, they're at least actively interested. Generally, yes. Which is, I would have... Okay. Is golf course architecture not essentially art? And yeah, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The correlation I think it is. between yeah. the critics of art, it's the similar sort of thing. So that you'll have these schools well, at the highest, of... At the, the high, let, let's clarify that. At the highest level, the, it is. Oh, well, you it's... Know, there's, there, are, there are courses all over the world that didn't aspire to be art. They're purely functional and... Lots of uh, cartoons didn't to be want used, to be art either, but, but they are, aren't they? It is an art when um, artistic thought is put into it. Oh, there's an interesting idea. Yeah. Is it only art if you've thought about it as art beforehand? I don't know. That's interesting. Anyway, I th- but I think that that's how it strikes me. And so you can have 400 different opinions about the same piece of art or golf course, and every single one of them is valid, even if they are at polar opposites. Do you agree with that, Derek, as a notion? Well, certainly. I don't know how you could not agree. You, mm. I mean, you, I, I would never make the case or, that somebody's opinion – wasn't valid. It's their yeah. opinion. Yeah. Um, Can it be valid? Go, go on. I'm, I'm not sure where, you, where you're exactly going with this. Uh, well, I, so, so, so to me, the, the discussion, the the whole point of the lists and selling magazines is based on a false premise that you can establish some sort of list of ranked golf courses. So, so to me, the whole proposition is a fallacy from the beginning because it's a completely yes. personal and individual. Well, for certain. I, I mean, I, and I think it, I think that everybody who reads these lists and even the, the people who participate in creating them would say, yes, I mean, we shouldn't, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. This is completely arbitrary and subjective, mm-hmm. but I have an opinion and, and this is what I think. And I rated this course this way and I feel strongly about it. And these lists have been in existence for decades. So it's just, it's part of the game. And if we're going to play the game, let's, let's play to win. Let's play to be accurate. Let's, let's play to promote the, the style of architectures that we think is most pertinent and most important does that do they serve a purpose even though you might not agree with the necessary because certainly as i said well certainly here in australia there are some courses 
for whom it is a very important commercial consideration as to where you might sit on a ranking list. And in fact, some courses will get in touch with magazines that do the rankings and ask them what do we need to do to improve our ranking. So there are real-world outcomes. It's not just a, an intellectual that's, discussion, is it? That's only a subset of courses, though. Where I mean, Royal Melbourne's not ringing up and asking no. how to... You know, it's very important for the success of a place like Barnboogle that it was in the top 100 on day one. Not that same, we're suggesting Barnboogle have ever rung up and asked how they can improve no, their ranking. But that was definitely part of the strategy. Mm-hmm. Is, no you question. Know, if, it, if it wasn't going to be in the top 100, then... You know, the whole thing gets brought into question and, and Cape Wickham, like that whole expense and like, is it, are people going to travel to get there? That comes into uh, well, question. Well, they've cleverly turned that into a part of the experience, haven't they? The 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 torturous journey, which is the wrong word to use, but the torturous journey to get there is part of the badge of, badge oh, of honour of having I, I played know. No, I know yeah. you wouldn't yeah. know, but you know what I'm saying, don't you? That, that, that part of the experience is very much part of the entire experience. You've got to work hard to get there. You can't yeah. just drive 10 minutes from the CBD in Sydney and find this particular destination. Band and Dunes, I yeah, think, and, shares and Adrian, that. Adrian's right that there are a lot of golf courses who court the rating process who have much to gain by being highly rated and they'll go out of their way to be accommodating or to send out messages that raters are welcome. Um, a lot of the, a lot of it's newer courses or resorts or courses that think they should be higher rated than they are. You know, Pine Valley doesn't do that. <laughs> you know, um, Oakmont doesn't do that, but, but many courses are very, very open to having raters come out and, and having them be evaluated. There's very few modern courses in the top 50 really is there or like you have sand hills at 14 um pacific dunes, pacific dunes is there yeah tower right there. is this is this the nature of the hand-picked panel that you're perhaps pointing to derek i i think that that those courses are going to show up on everybody's list mm-hmm. no matter how the panels are constructed but adrian brings up a, a, a really good point is is there's there's the the panel that's been cultivated and selected uh because they're respected for their architectural opinions. And then their I just know Golf Digest, um, to Adrian's other point, is is increasing the size of their list or their pan list. I keep getting those confused. Heap, their pan list size. That's always been growing. Golf Digest's yeah. position, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. and, and, and they're, they want more pan lists because they're trying to make it more statistically valid. So more data points, as you said, uh, they, they believe creates uh, a truer reflection of, of what are – are believed. Um, it is interesting, though, if you were going to, I think there's value, I can see the, the merits in both, and I think there's value in doing a, doing a cultivated list, because let's assume that um, a very small percentage of the people who play golf are, are playing for golf courses or the architectural experience. Most people are playing for score, for camaraderie, for fresh air, whatever, relaxation. So if you're going to rate golf courses, maybe maybe you should have a panel that are the people that care the most about golf courses. You know what I mean? Like, like you're going to, like they're the experts on golf. Uh, it'd be like if you were going back to Rod to your your thought about art. Like, let's say there was a, a, a some publication put out a list of the the hundred greatest paintings, and you and they just took museums around the world and just took a survey of every visitor who came in. Uh, um, I think you would get, you know, I, I don't even know what that list would look like, but of non professionals, yeah. non artists. And then you had another list that was only compiled by art historians, this very narrow field of people who were experts and passionate and studied in, in what they were doing. I, I, would those lists look similar or would they look different? And which list would you trust more if you were going to use it as a guide for where you wanted to play? Ooh, 
Wow. Well, movies are a great example. On imdb.com, you've got the top 100 movies of all time, and but they're based on IMDb ratings. So that's your people's choice. There's a huge data set that they've got there to mm-hmm. dictate that list. And it has, like, The Dark Knight at number four as of the greatest movies of all time. Your face suggests to me that you're not in agreement with that, Adrian. I've not seen the movie personally, so I can't make any comment it's either way. It's fine. It's great. Really enjoyable movie. Finest of its kind you've the- ever seen. <laughs> is it that good? Is it the fourth best movie of all time? Is it better than Rear Window or, you know, Citizen Kane right. or something? Right. No, that's a really man good, or something. Like, no way. Example. Yeah. Um, but there, but, where, does, where does one of those come in? Like Rear Window or something? You- the question Miles would be then, then when you are thinking about going to a movie or, or, or watching a, a streaming a movie, do you put any value in IMDb's user? Yeah, because I think rating? I'll be entertained by almost anything on that list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very I'd good at sort of- I'd say more about your, your yeah, sophistication. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> I can surrender my my beliefs when I go into a movie and just be entertained and I'm, I'm terrible at sort of seeing through a movie until afterwards when I realize, oh, you know, they- they got me with, with all of their their movie making tricks. So you've seen The Dark Knight, I take it then. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I also I would enjoy I enjoy something like Rear Window or something like that a lot more than The Dark Knight. It engages with me in a much deeper level and in much more memorable way uh, than some entertainment like that. So, Even so if this, the is really good, this is a really good. This is a really good example of, of of where this goes in golf because. I'm with you. I, I've I've seen The Dark Knight, and I would rate it in my top 400 movies, probably. But it, a, a large, passionate group of people have rated it very highly. Uh, th- so then I can look at that list and say, okay, well, I I'm not into superhero movies, um, but maybe I'll would I give that one a try since it got such it's so revered. Maybe it's worth it. Maybe I'll break my viewing habits. Now in golf, is there an equivalent? Maybe I th- that's what I'd like to see with top 100 lists. They're very predictable. We talked about the modern courses, and and I said the mo- most of the highest modern courses are going to show up on on every list. There'll be a few points higher or lower, but they're going to be there. I'd really love to see a list where you see some complete outliers out there that that would I would say like I would never have thought that I'd want to go play that course, but it's rated so highly that now I'm curious about it. Well, and well, I'm, I, I, that might exist on Golf Digest a little bit, but. Uh, I, I'm curious. I'd like to see that, and, and it, there doesn't seem to be a, a mechanism for that if you're going with the the quote-unquote expert panelist list. So to break up the notion of how the two are very well connected, the art critic and the movie idea and those sorts of things, is there not in golf the extra step of what is the impact more broadly of the quality of golf courses on the health of the game? And this is something that I've always thought was better. So even people who don't care about the golf course design, will they not be more engaged and more inclined to stick with golf or to enjoy golf in a in a better's the wrong word. Well, way, if the course <laughs> you're enjoying it wrong, you're enjoying you're it wrong. You're enjoying it wrong. Uh, I, yeah. I get the point of that. I'm not trying to say that, but does that make any sense? So, I well, I, I definitely. I mean, I think. I mean, this. I'm predisposed to like this list better, the golf.com list, because this is a list of golf courses where you you've got to get to like number. 80 or something before you find a course that has a lot of cart paths, for example. Right. You know? it was just, these, <laughs> these are all the best courses in the world are all examples of the things that you don't have to have on a golf course to make it great, uh, to make it a great golf experience. And a lot of it. So beer cart, cart path, beer. water fountains. <laughs> yeah. So if there was more of that at a, at a, you know, everyday golf level where 
the whole experience is just a bit simpler and there's just there's less out there that distracts from the great golf, then I think everybody would in, enjoy golf better. I won't say properly. Um, and at least like this to me promotes the ones that are a good example of that. So the other question, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at some things online here. You had um, Darius Oliver's Planet Golf yep. uh, golf magazine ranking. I can't type and talk at the same time, but I, I could pull up Golf Digest's most recent world world top 100 list, and I, I won't go through all of it, but I'm, there's a tremendous amount of overlap. I mean, these are golf courses that are uh, they're this most of them appear on the on the golf list too they, you know they're slotted differently the top's pretty so dramatically but, but you know it, but there are, all these golf courses are represented basically the same and mm. maybe when you get down to to 80 you know yeah. that's when things that's start to break interesting. apart but, yeah. but there's kind of a consensus top 80 70 or 80 golf courses in the world w- wouldn't um, that be a more sensible i'd be more open to lists that worked in groups of 10 and 15, 15 then yeah. 20 yep. so you have a top 10 then you have the next 15 and then you have the next 20 and then let's be honest of course that makes a lot more sense of course but it's it does. a bit boring it, so. the difference between 80 and 81 is absurd uh, in a ranking sense yep. much more so than the difference perhaps between 1 and 2 so Alan Shipnuck and Matt Janella came out to Australia recently played a whole bunch of golf courses Shipnuck put up his list of the courses that he liked. He had Royal Melbourne ranked below. I can't remember what it was below. It was below something. It, it was New in, South Wales here in Sydney. Yeah, he was enjoying it wrong. Yeah, he was enjoying it wrong. Yeah. But, but I so so. I, but they were always those two courses were always going to be somewhere in the top ten in Australia. Absolutely. No question about it. I don't know that's the case when you get down to eighty. So that's a more sensible way they're to both, do this. Both top fifty in the world, and you know you can make a case. Well, they're Royal complete, well, they're completely 10, different golf courses. Yeah, I mean they're completely different golf yes. courses. Royal actually, actually, Golf Digest has uh, New South Wales at eighteen in the world. And where's Royal Melbourne on their list? I think it's. I mean, I'll find it. I think it's higher than that. Yeah, they, well, when they're enjoying it, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's okay. Yeah, New South Wales is forty six on this yeah. golf. Having said that, I, I wonder whether, and I wondered this at the time, if and not to pick on Shipnuck, but had he played both courses five Three. or ten times. Would he have come away with the same rating? And I'm not sure. New South Wales is a visually spectacular place to play golf. The scenery is unbelievable at New South Wales. And there are some moments at New South Wales that you don't get on any other golf course in Australia, over the top of the hill on five and playing the six-hole mm-hmm. par three across the bay. In terms of a setting to play golf, it would be hard to find anything to match it anywhere else. But Royal Melbourne, hole by hole by hole, as a golf as a proposition, which is number, pl- number three on the golf three, digest, yeah. for the playing of golf is a vastly superior product, is it not? I don't know about vastly superior because I'm I'm in the school of thought that that says that thing about New South Wales relying on its views, and if you took it inland, it'd I'm be not less saying a that. I, I think that's a lazy yeah, argument. I'm not I, saying that. I, I think it's a genuinely great golf course, but uh, is it is it as grand and um, intri- varied a Fascinating. Does it ask as many interesting, interesting tests as Royal Melbourne? Does no, no, so. it's not. No, very, very few things are. But it can make that first impression. If you played both courses just once, I can understand how you might leave New South Wales and go, "Wow, that can't yeah. be." That's an incredible, and it's one of the great golf experiences in the world. I think it is New definitely. South Wales Golf Club. It is just when you come down here, Derek. We'll organise to go out there. It's uh, well, it's Australia's kind of Pebble Beach, isn't it? Adrian? Yeah, mm-hmm. is the Lots notion of it. Yeah, it's just I don't know that. 
How much weight do you think people place on it, Derek? Is there on these lists? It feels like there's a contrarian group whose whole purpose is to argue with wherever things appear on the list, no matter where that might be. And I think well, the, it's healthy, is it? Is that healthy? That aspect of it healthy? I, I love it. I love lists. I love the 100 list. I love the mm. best state, uh, best everything list. I think it's it's just fun to talk about. I, I, I think that way I, I subconsciously or subconsciously rate my experiences and, and have li- you know kind of lists in my head sometimes Your internal lists um, so the i think it's great for golf <laughs> We're talk- what did you say the internal lists the conversation that others don't hear we'd love to get access to that one day derek <laughs> well no you don't <laughs> um no i think i think it's i think it's a i think it's fantastic um i will say this the one thing that i've always thought about golf course ranking lists is that what it does do perhaps even unintentionally is make golf course architecture a bigger topic at least for a while than it generally otherwise is. If you're ranking golf courses, what you're yes. really ranking is golf course architecture for the most part. And for a whole bunch of people who think they're not interested in the subject, they will be interested in the list of rankings. And I think that's yes, a- at least at least for a moment. And I, I think you're right; it, it can't hurt. And it goes goes back to my thing about: Are we talking about? Is it important? How important are they? Are, it is. There's there's big golf that I call that everybody plays, you know the go down go down the street to your closest club and and look at the people that are playing course the golf course that day and then there's the people that you and I talk talk to or or us in particular or the people on on Twitter golf Twitter or wherever and that's the small golf world uh, it matters a lot to the small golf world but when for the for a month or so when that those issues are on the stands or, or everybody's buzzing about the 100 list. Yeah, it's a chance for, for golf courses and the thought of traveling to some of these courses. It's, it's a chance for that to interject, be interjected into the conversation of the big golf world, which I, I think yeah. that's important. I think it's important too. It doesn't need to be discussed in that way, but it, it is important to the game overall. It's, it's the reason I'm interested in golf is the interaction between course and player, which was one of the things out at watching the professional golf is mm-hmm. the interaction between course and player. Not not necessarily particularly enjoying what the course offered up, but that interaction is what makes the game interesting, what makes it different from tennis and football and baseball and cricket. The, you know, the, the, the wonderful, open, abstract nature of the playing field is just, uh, is just fantastic. This ties neatly, I think, Derek, into uh, something else you wanted to talk about. And this came up in your podcast. Well, first things first, your podcast with Jim Urbina, for me, and there's probably a recency bias, I think it's been one of your best. What did, you, did, did you sense that after you'd spoken? You know, I, I listened to it in three parts on three mornings travelling mm-hmm. to the golf course and, frankly, couldn't wait to get out of bed each morning to listen to the next part. I really enjoyed it. Did you get that sense when you were talking to him? He's a fantastically personable and intelligent bloke. Uh, absolutely. And I've, I've heard Jim on um, on your podcast with when you talked to him about the Lido course with Connor. Um, I'd, I've heard him on other podcasts or, or speaking. And so I, I knew it was going to be entertaining because he's a colourful person and he, and he thinks deeply and he's not afraid to talk about what he's thinking which is great when you're talking to anybody it's great when you kind of get inside their minds um and it was i was i was pleased with it i was because i didn't you know i just felt like i was talking to somebody who i love to talk to and, and when you get in that situation no matter where you are what's not good about that um so yeah i, I had a feeling it was pretty good and i'm, I'm glad that you and and others have had a great response to it and uh, i think jim is too mm. Logue, I assume you listened. Did I you did. take anything particular or special from it? Did you? Where did you think it ranked in the Duncan Hall of Fame? 
It, it was oh, I was right up there, I guess, but there's been a lot of very good Feed the Ball podcasts. Uh, Great intro, by the way. Clayton's been his best intro, Derek, but it was a good intro for, mm-hmm. for Jim, oh, I you. thought. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, he, he was very, I mean, he's very enthusiastic and it's always great to hear somebody who's incredibly enthusiastic about what they're doing. And I, I could, the animation in his voice, I could imagine if, if you were looking at him while he was talking, he must have been, you know, arms, jumping up. Arms and, flailing. Arms flailing <laughs> and ju- place, sort yeah. of jumping out of his seat and pacing the room and stuff. It was fantastic stuff. So, uh, very entertaining. Broad thinker. Derek, uh, what what I really love about him, with almost everything you talked about, he'd given consideration to the to an opposing view or a different view. That notion of, and I know it's been asked before, it's probably the least interesting um, example of it from the discussion. That what what if Rayner had done Cypress Point as opposed mm-hmm. to Mackenzie? But that notion of we don't know what we don't have, and people never think about that, do they? We don't know what we don't have at Royal Melbourne. What if somebody else had designed the golf course at Royal Melbourne? Might it, maybe it'd be better. <laughs> you don't know, do you? I found that just endlessly intriguing. I've been thinking about that constantly ever since. It's an amazing notion, isn't it? Yeah, and it, 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 that applies to every golf course. You know, yeah. we, we uh, take the golf course as it is, but there are so many decisions that go into it, uh, you know, from from selecting the land to, you know, there are instances where an architect convinces an owner to go out and grab a, another, you know, couple acres over here because it's going to just make that golf particular golf hole better. Um, you know, all the discussions that they have with how the, how the course is shaped and, and irrigated. And that's when you get an architect on, you know, you get a chance to talk to an architect and they're kind of sharing those things with you. And you realize that all the decisions that were made and then conversely, all the decisions that weren't made or considered and rejected. I mean, it's, yeah, it, it can, it can make your head spin. There's so much that goes into it. And then, and then, there, you know, we typically go out and just hit a golf ball around it <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. that's uh, rubbish. <laughs> rate it and submit that's it to absolutely. our top 100 yeah. list. <laughs> I'm, I'm always, so one of the things I enjoy about Feed the Ball is that when you look at a, a piece of land, I, I think we experienced this, Rod, when we went down and played St. Andrew's Beach. Uh-huh. And we got to the 16th hole, the really uh-huh. long downhill par three. And we looked to our left and there was this big expanse of land that looked like it could be a dozen different a, golf holes. waiting to be mowed, wasn't it? And, and I think, in fact, it was <laughs> slated going to be the yeah. site for a second 18 there, which might happen at some point. But there's, I found that experience incredibly intimidating. Yeah, confronting. Looking, confronting, yeah. Looking at a piece of land that good and thinking to myself... <laughs> <laughs> if if I was asked to start taken to that with some machinery and and make something good out of it, what a responsibility that, that is! Like you're giving a a piece of the earth over to somebody. To, you can see to, it from a plane to dig it up. <laughs> you yeah. can look at it from the exactly. air and see it. That's how big that piece exactly. of art is. You're making this. Yeah, it's uh, immersive art in the landscape. Uh, that is going to be there for a long time. And I think that point was made on the podcast, wasn't it? That, that you know these things are there forever. Um, yeah, hopefully it's not always the it's case. actually fascinating to to think about if if you were asked to design on that t- property yeah. i'm assuming that you know outside of the you know the technical and, and engineering things and and all the the actual building of the golf course which you would you know have help with but let's say you were in charge of routing it and coming up with the concepts and you know setting the parameters of what this course would look like it speaking of interesting like how how would that your course look compared oh. to Tom Doak's course on that same land? Would how different would they be? Well, like he, would Adrian Logue produce? A, I don't, well, here's uh, the thing: I think routing is so overrated. Like, just 
you look at the old course. Like it wow, <laughs> so, okay, yeah. I didn't I mean, know the, we were the, going there. This is my completely uninformed opinion, but <laughs> I, I just think routing is incredibly overrated. Like, you get this situation these days where you've got the, the topology maps and – Oh, sorry, topography. So here we go. <laughs> you've already you've excluded yourself from the conversation mm-hmm. right yeah. there by accident. That was the sound and, of phones going quiet. Right. <laughs> Ringing phones. Uh, and you, you get it up on a computer screen. I'm not saying Tom Dote does this, but you put plans out, whatever. Just things can be planned and designed to the nth degree till it's absolutely perfect these days, till everything fits together, until you don't find yourself backed into some corner of the golf course. Isn't this exactly what some you speak way? against constantly? What? This notion of the micromanaging of things. No, this is what I'm, I'm, I'm about to make oh, a point okay, that this sorry. isn't. Yeah, but, uh, to, to the point where you get you get something that's always perfect. It's always, you know, par five followed by par four and a few holes later, par three mixed in and it perfectly loops around where the owner wanted it to loop around and the clubhouse is on a great site. And... It, the the holes follow the slopes beautifully, so that you know if there is a blind shot or something, it's it's put there deliberately. It's a very deliberate decision to have a blind shot somewhere in the golf course, and it provides a bit of variety. But it's just it's not too much variety; it's just enough. There's no really abnormal looking landforms. If if there's a valley to follow, the hole will follow the valley. If there's a place you know a saddle where you can put a green, the the green will be in that saddle. It just everything is just perfect these days on a, on a golf course, on a newly designed golf course. Whereas the old course or North Berwick, everything's just so wacky and random. Uh, but it, it, and look at this top top 10 list. Uh, there's, there's a lot of that. There's just all this wackiness and randomness in a lot of these golf courses. Cy- mean, Cypress the, Point. In the routing you're talking about? Yeah, Cypress Point mm-hmm. has two par fives in a row and two par threes in a row. The old course is maybe the wackiest course of them all. And, and it's routed in the most, like simplistic way possible where you just sort of walk out along one boundary fence and walk back along the other boundary fence and you sort of got a mess to sort out at the end where you have to turn yourself around and it sorts it out in the most bizarre way with with a fairway crossing over a par three. You're talking yourself out of a co-host position. You're in a hurry. You're going to get any sort of... But it- to me, like that, that completely random routing of somebody just going out and putting sticks in the ground and it's they're like the, you know, the... 400th course they've consulted on and they're only in this town for a day and they've just right, like that, well, that year yeah that's right and let's <laughs> like let's Tom walk, exactly let's walk out there and just stick a stick here and a stick a stick there and you you build a green there i'll come back i might come back in a year and check on your progress or so here's some plans on how to build greens and stuff and i'm out of here i'm on to the next town that somehow produces some amazing things and whereas planned routing with it up on a computer screen or or um, on a massive piece of graph paper where everything is planned out to the end. Everything's going to be perfect. I but never think about routing as being something planned on. So I assume, I automatically assume that routing is exactly what well, they say they do, the dokes and the Bill Cores and the Ben Crow. I heard Bill Core talk about this once. Oh, was it on your podcast? Have you heard Bill on your show, Derek? Yeah. Did he talk about three. Rambling, wandering the property the way animals would, finding the natural way that you're inclined <laughs> to walk around it, and that being a clue to the routing. Was that on your show that he talked? I've heard him talk about that before. Just take a blank property and go and walk it. Yeah, and where you're yeah. naturally well, he, inclined to yeah. walk, that's a great yeah. is a sensible way to go. Well, he's not sitting in an office on I'd a computer. That's what you would do at North Berwick. You'd start off down the right there, and then follow the coastline, and then yeah, and then, then you maybe cut in, t- in town a little bit, and mm. then like come back around. It's just that's how it's routed. 
I'm still struggling with your overrated notion. How it's overrated? You're talking about doing it on a map is a is an over that's overrated. That notion of getting a perfect. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, you're that's back what I'm on, saying. You're yeah, back the in perfect, the team. The perfect like planning it on a computer screen, coming out with the perfect routing that happens with almost every golf course these days, where it solves every problem. You never get backed into any corner. All the distances between greens and tees are measured out to perfection. Even the walk. Like you instinctively know, even with your eyes closed, when you're walking off a green, that the next tee is going to be over there somewhere. And you know, I just so want to play around a blindfold golf with you now. <laughs> just see well, would how, you would you, you suggest do. that that there's room in modern design for somebody? Because you do have to plan it on some level, but for somebody to consciously back themselves into a corner or create just uh, moments of complete awkwardness. Yep. For yeah. the sake of awkwardness? Yeah, just introduce – and I don't know how you do it. Maybe you introduce some constraints with the equipment that you're using to build the course so that you can't move a big piece of land that's inconvenient or something. There, there has to be some constraints, I think, mm-hmm. inherent. That's kind of what to Tom Simpson this. wrote about is sort of having Im- imperfect holes for the sake of variety yeah. and, and for the sake of just breaking up. Like you, do, you, you don't want 18 perfect holes you know, or 18 moments of exhilaration equal exhilaration you you know you've got to have that rhythm in the routing and um but it's i think when you talk about this something that paul azinger said on at one time about how pros hate for instance blind shots and then somebody asked him well how come they accept them when they come and play the open championship on all these old courses and he said well because they're old they existed before we did but we don't think that anybody did that intentionally they just turned out that way but if somebody did that now they actually tried to do that and tried to create this scenario where we can't see where we're hitting and that's bs <laughs> so you know you would definitely encounter uh, a lot of resistance that's going true. at it like that can you imagine building the 17th the road hole in the modern era around a building that's an unthinkable people will just laugh you off the laugh you out of town and that that's very that's always been i've often wondered about that and what some people can get away with on my podcast we almost buy the episode go back to Mike Strands and Mike yeah. Strands built some really Funky. audacious yeah. features on his holes and blind shots and, and things that were stretched out of proportion and, and just confronted you with all kinds of uncomfortable situations physically and visually. And now he's revered as, you know, our greatest artists of the, of the two thousands really. Uh, so it, there's a place for it and it can be done. Maybe you, yeah, I, I'm not sure how, I'm not sure if he, did he do it so well that, and then again, he's polarizing. So I'm not, I'm not, but he's, he's, he's respected for it now. I mean, he's got a lot of, a lot of street cred for doing things like that. So certainly in the things I read, that's true, but I wonder how many people hate Mike Strand's golf courses and refuse to ever go back to them. Is that a reaction many, you hear much, many. Derek? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you notice like his, his courses aren't. Speaking of these top 100 lists, for all the brilliance, you know, yeah. uh, Monterey Shores is is often considered his best, but it's also kind of his most approachable, his most rational golf course. It's visually stunning, but uh, Tobacco Road is as polarizing a golf course as you'll find you on any it? continent. Have you played it? Have you been? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you? Yeah, thought, I love thoughts? it. I, I'd I'd play it every day if I could. It's right. it's a thrill a minute. Yeah. Uh, but not everybody, you know. I guess it goes back to what you are seeking in a round of golf. But it is it's excitement. It's it's but, just completely. Uh, you're switched on uh, all the way around that golf course. 
It's funny. And if you like that, then you like it. Yeah, that's right. It's funny. So many golfers actually, and this is the homogenization that you talk about so often, Adrian, that's actually what people try to avoid so often. What they really want is to play the same course from the same tees every week. And if they could, you get the feeling many people would leave the flags in exactly the same position. (laughs) Quite seriously, people get used to the golf. They're enjoying it wrong, aren't they, Adrian? That's kind of the... Yeah, although I think there is something to be said for club golf and that just that feeling of familiarity of going to your same golf club every week and, and playing If that it. golf club was the old course at St Andrews, though, would it be different <laughs> to turning up at Mangrove and Pimble? I don't think because so. Because the course I, on a weekly basis I mean, changes much more than... I mean, it, it is obviously different. It's you know vastly superior experience, but it's, uh, you know, the same... Fundamentally, the, the feeling of playing golf at your, your local, I think, is there's some consistency to that, whether it's Pine Valley or... Um, or you know, um, mangrove mountain, but uh, there's have it, they ever been used in the same sentence? <laughs> they have now. That'd be a first there. Um, but people should try playing off forward tees. For example, I, I went out for um, six holes with my mate last night. Uh, there was a little bit of sunlight. We thought, oh, let's let's go out and play six holes. And about three or four holes in, we thought, let's play off the forward tees. Uh, you know, it's, it's a much easier walk. It's, it's a different shot. We've never pl- tried that shot before, and we went off these real forward tees, which we'd never played off. And I've played maybe a thousand rounds of golf at this golf club, and uh, it was it was completely different. And we enjoyed it so much for those couple of holes. It's like let's play a few more holes, and so we we started. We ended up playing about twelve holes or something off the forward tees. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, that that fascinates me. Not so much from the notion of the golf, but but is the, there's the essence of golf, isn't it, Derek? The discovery that creates the excitement that makes you not play the six holes you'd planned but to play the 12 that the light allowed at the end of the day and only going back to the clubhouse when it's dark that's not sort of related necessarily to argue but that's a golf thing is it talking about ways that golf can touch the soul or stir the soul or stir excitement in a human that's a fantastic example that Asia's just given then at a golf course that he's played as he says a thousand times it points to the remarkable nature of the game does it not He's he's so correct about that that I think this is the remedy to your hiatus. You need to go find your forward tees, your your magic moment into forward tees or something about your golf course I need and experience Stan what you're talking about yeah, so no. you start playing golf again. <laughs> I need Stan Utley is what I need, man. I just stop double eating, triple eating chips, which Adrian <laughs> publicly outed me for again at the weekend. Thanks very much for that, mate. I, I really didn't, appreciate I didn't that. mention you. That's you reading that into yeah, that, Rod. We all know what you were up to there, <laughs> my uh, rather nasty friend. You just stick to your photology, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Topography, <laughs> topology, and your photology, uh, and away you go. Fascinating stuff is incredible. Uh, I always find this when whenever you get involved in a discussion about golf at some sort of deeper level, uh, just the strands we've already touched on today that are also interconnected, and the number of rabbit holes you can end up going down. We started this with lists, and we've ended up with Logue playing more holes than he meant to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Why that's important, which is. Uh, which is fantastic. I did want to touch on one other thing before we, before, because this came up in your interview with Urbina as well, and you've put it on the list in the Google Docs, and I think we might have even mentioned this last week. The effect of this uh, immediate consumption world, particularly the visual, the Instagram and the Twitter oh, and the pictures great and, topic, yeah. and golf courses and the impact that's having on the golf courses that are getting or we're, we're seeing built, few as they are, in the modern era. There's no way we could cover this whole topic in even one full episode, but it's an intriguing idea, isn't it? The impact of of modern media and modern media consumption, Derek, 
on the golf courses that are getting yes, built. Yes, yeah, and and I hope the people who listen to the Good Good podcast, if you haven't yet, uh, please listen to the Jim Urbina episode because it, it, there's so there's so much coming from that man that is valuable and just inter- interesting and, and entertaining to listen to. But I'll flip it back to to you, Rod, and to you, Adrian. I'm curious since I spoke about it with Jim on our, on, on the podcast. I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. I, I think we, Jim and I expressed a, a view that were um, a little, you know, hesitant to in, endorse social media and f- the way photography is being used now. But how did, how did you guys take that conversation? Yeah, I, well, the point you made, which I really which resonated with me, was that seeing this photography of all of these top courses demystifies them, and uh, I think that's a very valid point. Um, to me, growing up in Maitland, in the, you know the Hunter Valley of New South Wales, I was a long way removed from any great golf. We had Newcastle Golf Club up the road, which um, I planted the seed for me, and I recognised as being a great golf course. But the Sandbelt, the Melbourne Sandbelt, was this famed thing with exotic names like Commonwealth and Metropolitan and Kingston Heath and Royal Melbourne, of course, and Victoria, Victoria. Golf Club. Yeah. How big does Victoria? That's right. So I mean, they all so. and like you know, something like Commonwealth. What a great yeah. name that is. You know? um, and uh, they they seem like these exotic places. And every now and then, my dad would go down and play them, or one of his mates would come back and tell a story about it and just describe the course. And there was there was a real mysticism around some of those places and somewhere in, in the U S or in Scotland or something like that. Forget about it. Like though, those are what, what mysteries, what there be dragons, you know, there's some amazing stuff across, you know, across (laughs) the seas. Um, And uh, there, there was a wonderful mystery to the whole thing. And for me, seeing those golf courses and playing some of them now, a lot of that is, it's like okay, well, you go from being in all of these places to evaluating them and and thinking about it and admiring aspects of them and and even having the the audacity to criticise some aspects of them, uh, where uh, you know after all's been revealed and you realise oh, you know it's just a bunch of people trying to make the best of their golf course and and keep it going and it, so that that's not a bad way to demystify it is actually to experience the place. But to see photos sort of presents the best part of a course. And, and I do this, I try to do this with my photography is to present the best version of a course. And I, I'm completely unapologetic about that. I think that's mm-hmm. part of the, what I'm trying to do is creating something interesting, visually interesting. I'm trying to present the best version of it. Um, but is it a realistic version? No, not at all. I, and I've, I've really... Uh, I've, I've sort of got the backlash of that on a couple of occasions where I've presented a course which isn't any great piece of golf course like architecture. Or something. <laughs> it That's looks right. amazing. <laughs> and people are like, well, what's with this place? You know, it, didn't, it, wasn't, it didn't quite meet my expectations. Um, but that said, I, I still feel like that's what I'm trying to achieve with my photography. But, uh, yeah, that demystifying of it is is a interesting point. Um, and uh, something is lost. Something is absolutely lost to the game that you can see you can do the hole by hole flyover of pine valley that golf digest published a few years ago it's it's amazing to look at but it completely demystifies the place i'm thinking a couple of things while you're talking adrian the first thing i'm thinking is and i'm sure it's still available and i'm going to dig it up is the essay you wrote about the sixth hole at royal melbourne west that your dad 
talked about, which has stayed with me ever since I wrote it. It was a fantastic piece. I'm going to dig that up and put that in the show notes. The thing about the photography it finds to me is that it's – well, A, I'm not a huge seeker out of golf course photography. I always find it ultimately disappointing, even the very best photography, because like going to watch the golf, it never captures the reality of being on the golf course because golf is not a two-dimensional visual medium. It's a three-dimensional time and space experience. It includes breezes and smells and sounds and the people you're with and how you're how you're feeling, how your game is that day, what shot you might like. And, and, and photos, ultimately, no matter how good they are, are flat. They're a flat representation of a three-dimensional or a multi-dimensional experience. So I'm not one that seeks out photography, golf course. But I know a lot of people do, and there's some fantastic photographers, golf course photographers on Twitter that I see and I know on Instagram where you spend a lot of time. And in fact, even at adrianloge.com, I enjoy looking at your goes and I enjoy it, but I, I, don't, I don't, I suppose I don't, there's some section where I just, I wall it and say I don't place much importance on that because it doesn't tell me anything about what the golf experience is like ultimately. I, I've seen photos of golf holes that I've played and have loved and been fascinated by and they just look like he, here's a great example. disappointing representations of what they really are. The the old course just looks rubbish in Terrible. those photos. Awful. Because it's flat. <laughs> there, there's some interesting photos that you get around the town, like the first and the 18th photograph very well because of the built area around them, and the 17th is incredibly distinctive. Again, it's partly because of the built area around it, um, but you know, perhaps the, some of the best holes of all, they're... Yeah, eleven and twelve just don't photograph at all. Like I've I've been tr- I've tried to photograph eleven a number of times, but there's no good angle to get it. No, especially um, since they ruined the back of the green by flattening. Oh, did I bring that up again? <laughs> um, um, but the 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 thing with the old course though is you get out, you play the first, and you think I recognise this, yeah. and then you very quickly like into this area in the middle, which you might have even seen on TV, lost you know a hundred times, <laughs> seven, eight. Nine, yeah. the loop, 11, 10, where am I? What but am I doing? At the same time, you're struck with these colossal features that uh-huh. are there, which you just you, mm-hmm. you never saw them on TV. You've yeah. seen it dozens of times on TV. You've seen hundreds of photos, but you get to the second green and mm. nothing can prepare you no, for that. No, you're absolutely right, actually. You, yeah. you play the first, which you recognise, then you get to the second green and there's these bizarre mounds in the front of it. And it's like... Wow, I'm, the, I'm not the fall in, off to the third tee, which you can just and, and, yeah put up from. those those connections, and then you know in front of the fifth green, there's this that, canyon in <laughs> front of the fifth green. <laughs> yeah. Then you climb to the top of that, and it's a colossal yeah. green that's um, shared with what is it thirteen, and then uh, you know you just walk off that tee straight onto the sixth tee. It, uh, it's just a kind of remarkable thing when you're out there that you just can't believe that you never saw that in and it's the impossible photos that you've to seen the place. It's impossible to capture that in photos might yeah. be the more. You can photograph it, but it's impossible to capture the reality of that in photos. I suppose what I think is a bigger question, Derek, and I have no idea what the answer to this might be, but is there the potential, I certainly think we saw this perhaps in the 80s and 90s with golf course construction and design, of trying to, during the design and build process, pander to what the photos might look like afterwards as opposed to what might be the best way to design the whole. So Adrian's fantastic example of the 11th and 12th at the old course there, if that were to be built in the modern era, would somebody try to create something that's going to make a good photo as opposed to laying out a golf hole in the area, which is fantastic to play. Is that the danger? 
I don't think I the think best architects goes, do, but never mind that the routing would never be 11th to hit over the seven. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. right. <laughs> never mind that. Yeah, I think that goes to the heart of what uh, Jim was Jim Rubino was talking about is how, what effect does specifically does photography have on a, a generation of designers who were brought up with the camera in their hands and and they relate mm. their life experiences through photographs that they share with all their followers on social media. Will that desire to show off your work influence the way they design it and, and, and influence the decisions they're making on how they build golf holes. Yeah, he was a little dubious about the the prospect of, of that having a, a negative effect. And I mean, I could see how I definitely could see, I see it, you know, you can kind of see it a little bit uh, right now. If, if you're on Instagram and, and Twitter, you, if, if you follow a lot of golf designers, I, I can't prove it that, that no, it's affecting the way they design. But it might not be conscious. There's a, Derek. There's a lot of um, great uh, photographs of, of work in progress mm-hmm. being done, and and uh, it's it could I could see how it could become. Uh, I don't I don't know what the right way to put it is. It could be a, a become a little bit of a competition. Like okay, you did that. How about this? But it, okay, you did that. Well, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go ahead and try try for this now. Might but, not even be um, conscious. And I don't know though, that that's happening. But is it? might not be conscious. Uh, it might be a subconscious effect of sure. When you, any, if, when you share your work, no matter what your work is, you want positive feedback. You want people to be impressed. Mm. And at some point, you might feel like you have to outdo what you did last time. It, it would take a very disciplined, very disciplined, very mm. confident artist to not try to always outdo the competition and always try to outdo themselves and we'll find out who has that confidence i just make one more one more point about the the photography and what you were saying ron about how it's almost like an unrealistic projection of what the golf is and that's what i appreciated about adrian's website uh you know he his photography is often kind of like photorealism. It's it's as you encounter the golf course. It's mm-hmm. a, you can get the sense that that the photographer is walking through these landscapes and and very skilled at taking a picture. You know, maximizing the view the view of of what it is uh, and not. There's no sense of embellishment. There's no sense of artificiality. And so much of the photography that that we see in, in magazines and and on the internet now is. It just—it's almost—it's too perfect. It looks too amazing in a way, and that's—that sounds uh, may may sound odd to say, but it's almost like when you see, when you know the models in the magazine are airbrushed, and then you meet them, and if you ever were to meet them in person, <laughs> I would. I'm coming to Atlanta. Mate. Probably, I'm on the next plane. <laughs> or if you you know like when they do. Um, photography for food magazines a yeah. lot of times what you're when you see mashed potatoes it's not really mashed potatoes no. it's it's some other substance that they created to look like mashed potatoes and they put you know it's going back to the beads of sweat on the thunderbirds you know, they, <laughs> they made the apple look moist or so you know it's it's all kind of manipulated in a way that that yeah. it's not the real experience of eating food and i i think that's the other i appreciate more a very almost like a less is more approach to photography and i find myself on instagram almost kind of going out of my way to like photographs that are just ordinary, that are just taken by somebody with an ordinary camera from a bad vantage point. As they're playing. <laughs> just, I just like the authenticity mm. of, of that. You know, the mm. This is how you would actually see this hold if you were playing it at 3 p.m. in the afternoon from this particular tee. You yeah. know, it's not a, a perfect shot from with low light and long shadows because mm. uh, nobody's ever going to be standing in that tree or from that height you know where they see that that angle from so it there's a level of you know i i'm this is all me going back to saying that i'm 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 rebelling 
in some small way against great, <laughs> all the great photography, not to take anything away from these people who are incredibly talented. Um, but I, I it, it lacks often, it lacks realism to me. Mm. Yeah. I, I've, so I, I thanks think, Adrian. Yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> my, my stuff, I mean, specifically what I'm going for is to try and create images that match the person's memory of the course. It's it's like the the feeling that they had there, and so I am actually trying to enhance the photos, maybe unsuccessfully, but the uh, I'm trying <laughs> to enhance it to sort of almost like a a dreamlike quality that it's, but it's the dream that you have of remembering standing on a spot. That that's what I'm trying to get at with photos. Um, that comes across. Yeah. <laughs> so with green side photos for me, could you always take two photos? <laughs> One and then one from perhaps just to the right, maybe half a step to the right, where the, the next shot is taken. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> the, um, uh, the, just the thing of it's not necessarily a bad thing to want to create golf courses that are beautiful to look at. No, it, good like, lord, no, it's a it, huge important part of golf, and I think it's part of the art of of you know sculpting the these things out of the earth, you know, tearing up the ground to create something beautiful. The, Rob, we had Robert Von Hage on the old I Seek Golf podcast. Oh, sorry, we didn't have Robert, Rick Barrel. That, that would have been, that so would have been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Rick, Rick Barrel talking about Robert Von Hage and, yeah. and how he actually designed courses that he wanted to create the look of sunrise and sunset at any time of day. Sharp edges built in yeah. to capture shadows. He would go out on the property. Exactly. Go, if I build a sharp edge there, that'll give me a shadow that looks like this. So when you're playing this hole at 4 p.m., it has an effect. Exactly, yeah. And from the places, he wanted it to mm. look its best from places where you're standing to play a yeah. shot. And I, I know Rick uh, and, and Von Hage collaborated on a couple of courses in Denmark that I played. And there's one course which has this massive fjord, a beautiful fjord. And, uh, and Rick was relating the experience of how he routed that hole so that the approach to that green would be facing directly down the fjord. Mm. And uh, it, it's... You know, it's an amazing. I mean, that's an obvious kind of one, but um, the the way bunkers are flashed and and as you say, mounding's done to cast shadows and all that sort of thing. There's no, it's not necessarily anything wrong with that. It's it's actually exactly what some people want out of their golf course, and it's probably why uh, you know Tom Fazio is so popular. Or that's that's and of course, it always pays but, to remember at the end of it all that the truth is golf is absolutely unimportant in the scheme of things in the world. And I get way too worked up about it sometimes and need to remind myself that actually it doesn't matter. People aren't enjoying it wrong. And just because I don't like something doesn't make it wrong. It doesn't demand any of my energy to to be invested in it. Because A, you're not going to make it right anyway. And B, it's just golf. So I don't know. Are you ever guilty of that, Derek? I know I am. I don't know about Adrian. Oh, yes, all the, every, all every, the time. Every single day. It's ridiculous, isn't it? There are times when I think to myself, just grow up. Get a proper job. And make a contribution to the world that's realistic as opposed to this nonsense. Anyway. Uh, trying to do better. Try to do better. That's exactly right. Better. Could you imagine, though, real quick, um, if Robert Von Hage was alive today, don't you think he'd be all over Instagram? Oh, yeah. Very much. Yeah. In his cape. Of himself at yeah. the center. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. He'd be doing selfies and everything. One of the, mo- <laughs> one of the greatest podcasting moments I think I've had is talking and just trying to imagine that if he was still here sitting down and disagreeing with him vehemently about everything Mm. and enjoying 
the spa enormously. He would have been so into it and a, a fantastic person to argue yes. and disagree with. He would have been You'd wonderful. You'd have your, your intellectual rapiers out. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah I'd be, and I would be getting absolutely belted, but it would have been a huge amount of fun just to be a part of it. What a what an enormous Some, like, character. Incredibly char- charismatic. charismatic. He, yeah. Him and Desmond Muir, they, they were two of the favourite yep. episodes I think we did on Isaac. Because Desmond Muir is another fascinating character. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, his name got mentioned again on the... Okay, very quickly, high notes. Adrian, you can go first. This still just I'm gonna block my ears. I think I find this disturbing. You gotta look for the positives <laughs> in your own golf game from time to time, I think. And in sometimes you get there's some lows. This game presents us with some lows. Yeah, there's think? low low points. There's <laughs> there's low points and high notes. Mine's about a football on the ball. Um, <laughs> I had a couple of weeks where I had over 40 putts. I had 42 and 43 putts in successive weeks. On on days when I was hitting the ball quite well, I think I might have hit 10 or 11 greens both those rounds. And, you know, that's just a rubbish score. 42, 43 putts, quite a lot of putts. But the high point is I'm now somewhere in the 30s with my putting. I'm having about 30 putts around. No, no, not 30, somewhere in the mid-30s maybe. It's baby steps. It's not, that's not great putting still, but it's baby steps. I'm getting there. It's a, it's a high note compared to... I don't I do this often, but I'm being brutally honest here. I find that genuinely distressing. Normally, I find your <laughs> horrors on the golf course to be a source of great entertainment, but 43 putts, Logue, seriously, don't kid yourself that you've fixed it. Go and get someone to look at it. That's unthinkable. 43 putts. I'm in the mid-30s now, Rod. So yeah, you've been in the mid-30s twice. How long before you get back to 43? There is a fundamental issue there. That's not You're treating the symptoms, Logue. Go and get it fixed. Um, there you go. That's a weird kind of, I would call that a medium note because there's an awful lot of low about that high <laughs> note, which kind of balances it out. Uh, Derek, do you have a high note? You haven't put it in the Google Doc, but that doesn't mean you don't have one? No, I didn't know. I don't know how to make the bullet points correctly, so I can't yeah. add that. <laughs> you got a lesson this morning, you didn't you? I can, I can fix Real it for time. you. If yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll just hand my material over to Adrian and he can put it in there. So, uh, Rod, you were talking earlier about the, the sensation of, of watching uh, elite players hit the ball and, and how that is impressive and that added to your enjoyment of the golf, to the golf, you know, and when you see a professional or a high amateur just swing or hit any, any, any club in the bag, you know, you can, you can fe- almost feel that, that contact, that compression with your body. It goes into your heart. And it reminds me that, uh, that golf is such a tactile sport, you know, every, it's such about, not just feel for hitting shots, but but you know of, of lacing up your shoes or putting your bag over your shoulder or you know putting on your glove. One of the great pleasures that I had, I just and it just hit me because I I've been thinking about positive things. One of the great things and the great loves is opening a new sleeve of golf balls and mm. kind of pouring them out into your hands and feeling that 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 tag there's almost like a a stickiness to the golf balls and the way they kind of rub together when they're brand new that's just i mean that goes back to my childhood and the first time i ever had that experience of like opening a new sleeve of ball and the way that the cardboard kind of cracks you know you kind of pop the top off and they you can get off three of them in your hand and they kind of squeak together uh that's that's such a important part of of playing golf it's those little things like that that make people fall in love with the game. I truly believe because it's it's such a unique experience. There's you know you you own these golf balls and you're gonna they're gonna be in your possession for a short period of time. And, <laughs> yes. and all too often that that sensation happens like on the eleventh hole when you're already into your second sleep of golf balls. <laughs> You've gone through whatever you had before. But but I I love that. I love that feeling of of golf balls and all the different sensations that you go through in, in golf and and what your hands touch and and the sounds that the things make. That's lovely. I felt Derek, that while you were discussing. Derek Sticky Balls could be a, that could be a show <laughs> title. Yeah, um, the uh, 
the Derek the pen the old pen folds or the spaldings that you got out of the tissue paper. They were the. Did you have that in the, the states, or was that Australia only? I wonder. You know, I I never. I don't think I ever opened the tissue paper. Balls wrapped oh, in tissue they paper. They were amazing. Individually boxed. Individually boxed. No sleeves here in Australia. Individually boxed. Yep. See, that would be even greater. Oh. You can have that one next week, Adrian. Collect the tissue paper. Fantastic stuff, yeah. And look at the, I can see the look on your face of just that nostalgia and that memory. It's similar to the people mm. picking up the drivers like I was talking yeah. about it. It's that it touches something inside you that has nothing to do with efficiency and score and that side of golf. Yep. It's, it's about looking up. I think yep. is what it is. It's golf, golf balls are not like, beautiful, oh, fantastic, beautiful little things, aren't they? Amazing piece of engineering yeah. and <laughs> incredible. Yeah. Too good. They go too far. But they go too far, but my but goodness. They are beautiful <laughs> items. Oh, they're phenomenal. Yeah. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Uh, my high note, high note does come from watching the golf this week, and I enjoyed watching all of the professional players and the fantastic stuff, but I take, not for the first time, I took particular joy, and it's a real personal high note, something I'll always remember, in following and watching... Min Woo Lee. Lots of people won't Mm -hmm. know this young man's name yet. They will come to. He is special. He's got the gift. He's got all of it. He hits. He played awfully over the weekend by his own standards. Come third. Had a putt to join the playoff on the 72nd hole, having played rubbish golf. But he hit a number of shots on Sunday in particular that were just extraordinary in a round that was ordinary. On the first hole, he drove it in a fairway bunker, which is not hard to do. There's about a 1,000 of them on the first hole at Twin Creeks. Into a not particularly good lie. Had legitimately no shot at the green at all and hit it to eight feet. I stood 10 Mm. feet behind him. I listened to the contact and I watched the flight and it was a staggering golf shot, unappreciated by most there, but it was a a staggering mix of the bravado to have a go at it. It's Sevi-esque, actually, some of the way he plays. To pull it off the... The imagination to see it, um, just a, 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 a pleasure to watch this young man play golf. And if you're in Sydney and you have a chance to go out to the Australian at all this week, he's playing in the field this week. Even if he shoots 75, he is one of those players who you will enjoy watching every part of it, the sound, the look, the swing. And he's got a he's, – he's, he, I mean, he's a fantastic kid, I can say that, because I'm old and he's not. But he's a fantastic kid and a really delightful young man as well on top of that. But a, a truly special gift for golf, and you just get the feeling he's going to go on and be something. The no-can't-miss kids, there's no such thing. But if there were, he'd be one. He's um, he, he brings genuine joy to some of us who get to watch him. So uh, that I, was my high note. Good I, on you, I enjoyed nice. your uh, Twitter feed. This last past week, Rod, with uh, there was a lot of Midway Lee footage on there as well. Well, fo- I followed him in the some... last round because he was in the last group yesterday. Yeah, so I got some and uh, chipping out as well. And I mean this in the nicest possible way. He's got a great punch out game. He really does. He really... Trust me, he needs it. <laughs> yeah. He's got so much clubhead speed that when he hits it offline, he really yeah. hits it offline. Yeah. Uh, but he exactly right. He has that sevy like ability to miss it on the right side, yep. the correct side, generally. And then the hands. He hits off wood chip recover. amazingly well. Oh, I've, I've got a lot of memories of oh, him hitting off wood chips. Staggering. <laughs> and there's a lot of wood chip at Twin Creeks. Yeah. Just really staggering to behold. As we talk about Tiger and what makes him so compelling. And every you're right. Every time he stands over the ball, you in your own mind you can't help but think anything could happen yep. here. Anything it's exciting. at all. And and Minwoo has that. Yeah. It's almost the opposite of what professional golfers aim for, which is. No, not anything could happen here. Exactly what I want to happen here is that this ball's going to go this yardage and finish in that spot on the green. But, but you just—he's one of those electric players that 
and I'll be following him as much as I possibly get the chance to this week. And every chance I ever get to watch him play, I will take it. And if mm-hmm. anybody in America or the UK or anywhere in the world gets a chance to go out and watch Minwoo Lee in person, it is truly worth the effort to go and do it. He's, uh, and as I said, he's a terrific young bloke as well. Got a good sense of humour and uh, ability to laugh at himself and just the complete package. So if you're listening, Min, which I know you won't be particularly this far in because it's a bit too long for a young person to listen, good on you. And uh, we look forward to this week. That wraps it up for uh, episode 11. Hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed talking. We will, of course, be back to it all again next week with episode 12 here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.